Hey everybody, welcome back this week as we walk through the Word together. And as we walk out this truth, we discover that life is produced in us and also in other people. We are walking with one another, growing together to see the life of Christ continue to manifest and birth in us and then to see it spread outside of the walls of our houses and our church building. Tonight, we're going to be talking about marriage. Now, if you're in the room and you're not married, okay, don't tune me out because the beauty of the word is that we see this picture of marriage that is woven all throughout scripture to help us understand how God loves us. And so tonight, this is going to be about the gospel as much as it's about how that's applied in our marriage. So as we start things off tonight, um, how many of y'all are DIYers? Any DIYers here? Pinterest people. All right. Cool. So here's what I have found. Any of y'all ever bought furniture from Ikea trying to be a DIYer? All right, so you go to the furniture store, you get on Amazon and you're sitting there thinking, man, I need to spruce up the house a little bit. I want my bedroom to look like the bedroom on Pinterest. And you're like, I need a new dresser or I need a new nightstand. And so you go, you look at the picture, it looks amazing. It's staged perfectly. And you order this thing and it shows up at your door and you have like this little small box that's supposed to be your dresser that's like this big and it's in a box like this, right? And you open it up, and you've got board A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, and then you got screwed double Z and, and double Y and all this stuff that is supposed to connect together. And those things um, should be simple, but without a picture and an instruction manual, those things can be a bear to try to put together. And imagine if you ordered something and it showed up at your door and there was no instruction manual and there was no picture Um, that would be quite the challenge. But here's the flip side of that. The cool thing about the the age that we live in right now is that if you're not a carpenter, uh, if you're not even an artistic person, if you're not an engineer, but you're just a homeowner who wants a, a nice little house, if you can follow instructions and see a picture, you can put together a piece of furniture. But without those things, it's really a challenge. And what I have experienced in my life as I've talked to people is I feel like a lot of people feel like that's their marriage. Like their marriage was they, they, they stepped into marriage and they were given a box of parts, a bunch of things with random labels. They're trying to figure out how this thing works, how to build it, how to put it together, but they don't have a good picture and they don't know what the instructions are. Anybody resonate with that? I've been there and... The thing that that I want to share with you guys tonight is that the word of God gives us both. It gives us the picture and it also gives us specific instructions. There's a lot of endeavors that we'll do in our life today. And some of y'all will do some incredible things like you might start a nonprofit or you might build a school or you might go and do all these different things with your life. You might start a clothing brand or whatnot. And when we look to the word, there's not specific instructions. Now there's broad instructions, there's principles that we can apply to do kingdom business. But when it comes to marriage, marriage is one of those things that the Bible gives very specific and relevant instructions on marriage. It doesn't put us in this place where we're like, man, I'm lost. I don't know what to do. The instructions are there. They're very clear. But not only that, we get a picture. And I don't know about you guys, but if you start to read the Bible, 
the Bible is so intricate. Like there's so many little storylines. There's a lot of books compiled together. And I don't know about y'all, but when I start to read the Bible, sometimes I can get lost. And if, I don't know if you've ever done a Bible study like this, but you take your Bible, you open it up and you just start reading. You're like, man, what is this? You know, like, I don't understand this. And you might come up at a passage where there's war going on, or you might end up in a passage where a woman's taking a baby, putting him in a basket and floating him down the river. And you're like, what is this? Here's the thing. Sometimes we can get zoomed in and we can get so close on these things that, that we miss what the big picture is. But when we zoom out, let me just tell you what the overall storyline of the Bible is. And this will help you when you're reading the word, just understand the storyline that you're reading. The Bible begins with a marriage. As God creates heavens and earth and he creates man and woman, they come together. And the Bible says they become one flesh. Now, as things progress in scripture, when we get to the end, when we read the very last book of the Bible, it ends with a marriage as well. It's because God's telling us something. This thing is about a marriage relationship. The love of Jesus can be best understood in the picture of perfect marriage. So what happens is this. If you just want to know the storyline of the Bible, so as things progress, God chooses his bride. He chooses the nation of Israel. And with the nation of Israel, he makes a vow with them. The same way we do in marriage, he makes a vow with this nation. And he says, here's the deal. The big picture is this. I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you unconditionally. And here's my desire for you is that you love me. Throw your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And based on that came the Ten Commandments. But really what the Ten Commandments are was that was the bride's vow. That was what she was committing to. So here's what happens through the rest of the Old Testament. By the way, the word Old Testament, it's actually referring to the old covenant, the old marriage vow. So as this progresses, what happens is this, the bride is unfaithful. She cannot keep her vow. She continually breaks the vow. And this brings about a lot of the ups and downs that we see in the Old Testament. And we see God continuing to be loving to his bride, to the nation of Israel, continuing to try to protect her but ultimately, it gets to this point where God's got to renew the vows, right? So he issues this new covenant, and he says, here's why this covenant's going to be better. I'm actually going to write the law on your heart, and I'm going to choose to remember your sin no more. I'm no longer going to hold this against you. We're going to have a perfect relationship now. But it wasn't because Israel or the bride was going to be perfect. It was going to be because of what Jesus was perfecting in her. So what Jesus does... And then as he comes for his bride and we get into the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, the second half of the storyline where we're operating under this, this new wedding vow between God and his people. And so the groom comes back and he says, listen, y'all, I love you. I love you so much. And I'm going to show you how much I love you. I'm going to actually buy you back from how the world has stolen you. By the way, just so you know this, okay, the word whore comes up in the Bible 78 times, all right? Of those 78 times, there's quite a few where that is used to describe the bride of God. And it says, you have become like a whore, you've played the whore, and you have enjoyed the prostitute's wages. Now, what did God do when Israel was like that? Did he divorce her? No, not at all. He continued to be patient with her. 
He exercised that love that we've been talking about, that patient love, that kind, that gentle love. So that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to buy his bride back and he gave his life for her to show her how much he loves her. And there comes the church. The church is the bride of Christ. It is all of those that have said yes. We're singing a lot of songs tonight about saying yes. But the reality is this, is God gives us an invitation to come and to give our life to him and to follow him. But it is much like a marriage vow where we simply respond yes or no. And so as we respond to that marriage vow, we say, yes, we become a part of the bride of Christ. And so the story continues. Jesus goes, he's preparing a place for his bride as we speak, and he will come again. And he will come back and he will bring his bride back. She will be perfected and there will be this ultimate, beautiful wedding ceremony. There's going to be a feast. It's going to be an exciting time and they will be united in eternity forever. That is the overarching storyline of the Bible. And it's why it's so important that we understand God's perspective on marriage because not only will it help us understand how we interact between husband and wife, but it helps us understand the way that God loves us. So tonight, like I said, that's the big picture that's painted. Now let's get into some specific instructions. So the text we're gonna be reading from today is Ephesians chapter five. We're gonna start in verse 22. Ephesians 5, 22. Now, this is a very popular scripture. Um, if you have went through any Christian premarital counseling uh, before a wedding or a Christian wedding, this could have potentially, should have probably been read and, and, and w- like you walked through this, but it's very popular scripture. But oftentimes when we look at the scripture, we specifically apply it to, um, to husbands and wives, but there's a parallel storyline here of Jesus and the church. And I wanna make sure we don't miss that while we're reading. So as we read these things, we're gonna find understanding for how a husband and a wife love each other, for how Jesus interacts with the church and loves her, all right? Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, that's it. Simple marriage. Do that. Be happy, right? Not that simple. But here's the, here's the truth of this. As we begin to read through this, we see some words that might be offensive to us. 
Our culture today, just so you know it, if you don't know this about yourself, this is probably you, but we're in a very idealistic culture where we sit here and we say, this is the ideal thing, and if it's not like this, I don't want it. And so we're always trying to perfect. We look at social media, we look at other people, we're in a comparison age where we just, we want to be better than we are, and we're looking to all these different things, trying to find the ideal marriage And not only are we an idealistic culture, but we are also a very individualistic culture where we want everybody to serve me. And so when we're told to submit, and when the husband is told to love his wife like Christ loves the church, which is in a sacrificial way, both of those things can bring a little bit of a burn, a little bit of a resistance in us and our individualistic mindset that we have. And so we have to begin to lay that down and sit that to the side. And so as we begin to process this tonight, my prayer for you right now is that you would just ask the Lord to show you what his word is saying, that he would ask to, that you would just ask him right now that he would speak to you very clearly, very specifically, because I think he wants to speak to husbands, I think he wants to speak to wives, I think he wants to speak to lost, I think he wants to speak to found tonight. I think he wants to give some very clear things to you about his love tonight. So as we process this, wives, submit to your own husbands. Now, what does that word submit mean? Okay, well, I can't really soften it for you that much. It means to obey or, or be subordinate to, okay? But as we think about that picture of submission, I think a lot of times we get a very worldly and very flawed picture of what that is. And we immediately might go in our mind to an abusive relationship where submission means to just go before your husband and let him just have his way with you and do whatever, right? And in a very, um, you know, in, in a very abusive relationship, that can be a very scary thing for you to sit here and read. That's what submission means. But here's what it means really, okay? It says to submit to your husband as to the Lord, Your first person that you're going to submit to in your life is Jesus Christ. He gets your ultimate submission, okay? But in that, there is a design and there is an order to creation and the way things function, okay? And that order, what he begins to explain here next, it's self-explanatory. Here's what he says. The order is this. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit and everything to their husbands. So what the author of this is saying, what he's trying to explain is look to how the church functions in relationship to Jesus and wives, that's how you function with your husband. So how does the church and Jesus interact? So Jesus steps into this world and he begins to preach a message and he says, come follow me. It's very clear what the mission of Jesus is, and he was sent because God loved the world, and Jesus committed his life to showing love. Now, based on the love of Jesus, all right, he goes, and as he redeems the bride back to himself, he does something very special to the bride. To the bride, to the church, he empowers his bride with his spirit and with his power to accomplish and do everything that he had been doing. So what he does is Jesus goes into the church and empowers them to function in the same way that he was functioning. 
as he ascends into heaven. So Jesus entrusted the responsibility of sharing the love with the world, the responsibility of discipleship that he committed his earthly life to. He commissioned his bride to go and do the same thing. He empowered her. So what submission looks like in the church, between the church and Jesus, is that we are committed to his mission. Submission, <laughs> right? We are committing to his mission. That means it's not about my individualistic mission anymore. It's about the mission of us as a married couple. My life, when I, before Jesus, I had a very specific agenda. But when I gave my life to Jesus and I committed to him, then my mission was then about his mission. And that is what it means to submit. So... It's a freeing thing. It's a codependent kind of thing. It's an exciting thing to submit to the mission of Jesus. And so in the same way, ladies, as you submit to Jesus and you're about his mission, work together with your husband to be about the same thing, okay? Submit to him in that way. By the way, I am giving a broad sweeping view of this according to the word tonight. There are more specific passages and there's more specific things that I would say to individual situations if you were going through a, a problem in your marriage or you're navigating something in your life. I want you to know here that, uh, that just if you are in a marriage right now and your marriage is a challenge for you um, or it's a blessing, Either side, I encourage you to have conversations and to step into marriage counseling. It's a beautiful thing for all people to be a part of. But just know this, that there are, there are some of you that are sitting here right now and you're feeling something in your marriage and you probably need to have other conversations with other people that have been beyond the circumstance that you're in and seeing grace come through. So just know that right now. I'm a huge proponent of marriage counseling. I'm a huge proponent of being open and honest about your marriage with other believing couples. Okay, so let's get back on track though. So wives, be about your husband's mission, okay? Serve him in that way as you serve Jesus, okay? Now, again, the focus of the wife now is on the Lord. As I'm submitting to the Lord, that's my fuel to now be and support my husband, okay? Husbands, you're not off the hook, right? Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, period. Actually, there's a comma, but I'm gonna period that for one second. All right, so think about this. Jesus begins to have an interaction and his disciples are always wanting to know things, they're always growing and he's explaining them what love is. The great commandment is this, it's that you love Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that was the initial marriage covenant between God and Israel. That's what he called them to. And Jesus says the second is like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. So there's another interaction with Jesus, and he lays out what love looks like. It comes in John 15, verse 12 through 14. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So what Jesus is saying is that the greatest picture of love that we can display to anyone, if you say, I love you, the ultimate test of that is this, will you lay down your life for that person? I just wanna pause for a moment, women, as you're thinking about what submission looks like. 
when you have a husband who is willing to lay down his life for you, who is not about serving himself, but will give his life to serve you and see you made whole and see you excited and see you filled up when that is your husband's submission is an exciting thing. And husbands, I, I will tell you this, as your wife comes and she begins to, to respect you and extend that love to you in that way, you're gonna be fueled up. You're gonna be fueled up to serve her. It's gonna just perpetuate the other. It's a beautiful dependency that happens whenever a marriage harmonizes like this. And so husbands, it continues to say this. So here's how Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So here's how Jesus loves the church. When you give your life to Jesus, he begins to wash you with the word, that's truth. He begins to speak gently over your life. He's very caring to you. He's very, he's very, very pointed to speak truth in, but always in love, okay? And it is his joy to present you perfect without spot or wrinkle. But here's what I love in this passage. As you continue to read through this in verse 29, it says, no one's ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Christ nourishes and cherishes, cherishes the church. It's his body. It's one and the same. And here's the thing about a body. When we talk about how a body works, the head is an important piece of the body. You can't live without it, okay? We get that. But the other side of it is this. So just as the body can't live without the head, the head can't live without the body. The, the head is extremely important, but you also have to have the heart, right? And so as we begin to think about the importance of the head and the heart, what Paul is teaching in this is he's not devaluing the wife and saying you're, you're less valuable or you're less important. No, you are one flesh. Jesus and the church make up one unit. They are one thing. They are one experience, one person, one heartbeat, one motive, one mission, right? And he's saying this is the way that your marriage needs to look as well. As you begin to surrender your life to Jesus and you begin to experience his love in your life, that's going to fuel this kind of relationship. And husbands, I just want you to know this. As you're beginning to interact with your wife and you get in the midst of an argument, and wives, same applies to you, but let's say there's an, an argument. I will tell you this, that argument will come to a close whenever someone is willing to serve the other and die to their self. That's when the argument ends. And you've seen it, you've had it before. And a lot of us, the, the world says that would be giving up. That means I'm just gonna just forfeit this one and, and, and not win, no. It's very important that we see what the big picture is. There's a greater battle that we're facing here. The word teaches that when a husband and a wife come together, they become one. As one flesh, 
your enemy is not your spouse now. In Christ, your enemy is Satan. And now when there's an argument, whenever there's a bad attitude, whenever there's a perspective that you feel like needs to shift in your marriage, it's not about trying to fix your partner, but it's about coming alongside very gently, very humbly with your partner, with your spouse, and beginning to band together and lock arms to fight the enemy together and really seeing what the big battle is. Now, I think a lot of times we, we sit here and think, like, my spouse is my enemy. And I just want you to know this. If, if you and your spouse have submitted your life to Jesus, your spouse is not your enemy. It's your partner to be on mission with Jesus to go and fight Satan and crush him. That's the enemy. And I just want you all to know, just real talk, personal story. So me and Danielle, we've been married now 14 and a half years. I'm going to celebrate 15 in August. I love it. I love being married, and uh, she is the greatest gift to me, man. And uh, like the biggest picture of grace in my life that I've ever experienced outside of what Jesus did, like the way grace came alive to me is when I got married to Danielle and she loved me. And here's the thing that Danielle started to notice. For me, I have anger problems. Like that's my, that's my thing. You know, and I, I just I just struggle sometimes with my anger and I can get into this depressive rut. And at the beginning of our marriage and our immaturity, there would be a lot of fights and a lot of ex, like extensive arguing and silent treatments for day, you know, kind of thing um, over over very silly things. But my wife started to see the fact that, hey, but I'm one flesh with him. And she began to pray for me. But in those moments, she began to lock arms with me. And instead of fight against me, she started helping me fight the anger I was dealing with and helping me see the truth. That is what a marriage looks like that is locked arms together, that's committed to the same mission, that's going after the same thing. Is no longer was she trying to fix my anger by telling me, hey, why do you got to be so angry? Why do you got to be so mad? What did I do? Instead of going there, she sat there and said, oh, you know what? I see this is an attack of the enemy. I actually understand why he's getting angry. It's because he's really struggling to communicate. So TC, tell me what you're really feeling right now. And those gentle words, like the word says, the gentle answer turns away wrath. It started to soften my heart. And one of the most important instruments of me healing and not being an angry person anymore was how God used my wife in my life to speak truth gently to me where she locked arms with me. Now, here's how it works on the other side of things. This is what I'm growing in as a husband. And as I wash her with the word, sometimes my wife, just being transparent with you guys, she'll get a thought process in her head where she's starting to just beat herself up. And I have to come and say, Danielle, listen, your identity's not a, you know, a clean load of laundry and not an empty sink. That's not what it is. And I remind her who she is in Christ. And we sit there and immediately what could have been a fight and me trying to fix her and all these different things becomes an act of worship. And it becomes a point of intimacy in our relationship when we just lock arms together and we do what Jesus says. So I'm just here to tell you that as I have begun to practice this in my own life, as I've learned to wash my wife with the word and speak the word over her and pray the word over her, and as she's been committed to the same mission as me and done that back to me, that's where our life and our marriage has really started to thrive. 
Now, I wanna speak to intimacy for a moment because intimacy is something that is so much more than just a physical relationship. And if you're in your marriage right now and you feel like your intimacy is just kind of lacking, it's not there, I will tell you this, encouragement is gonna be one of the most important things to lead to intimacy. Encouragement always will fuel that intimate relationship. And so as we think about this, as we think about what it looks like to nourish and cherish, husbands, it looks like you valuing your wife. A wife should never feel devalued when she carries out her her gift to her husband of submission. That should never be a devaluing. It should be a tandem relationship between heart and mind, all right? Now, let's continue through this. Verse 31, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This, for me, is where it gets pretty practical in verse 33. But the reality is this. As I mentioned, it's not me versus you anymore. It's not husband versus wife, but it's husband and wife coming together and they are one. They are on mission together now. They are doing life together now. They are fighting the enemy together. Marriage is not a curse. It's the sweetest blessing of having someone else to lock arms with in life, to go through this world together. And now you begin to worship together as you obey and you receive the love of Jesus together. But I wanna go back to the example between Christ and the church because that's what he says here. As Paul is writing this, he said, this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So here's the profound thing. You give your life to Jesus. You begin to walk with Jesus. You are now in this beautiful relationship with Jesus where you were empowered and you were one flesh with him. That is something that ought to be invigorating and exciting as much as it is convicting. Because the truth is this, as you begin to connect with people in the world today, my prayer is that when they see you, they say there's something different. And those that know Jesus, when they look at you, they sit here and say, that's Jesus too. That's what begins to happen in the bride. We start to look more and more like him. And same thing happens in your marriage. If you've seen a couple um, be together over a long period of time, they, they really start to have the same heartbeat. It's really interesting. I did a, um, like, what we were doing, place profiles here at, at Midtown. And if you come and you want to be a part of Midtown and you want to know a little bit about, like, your personality and, and, and your spiritual gifts, um, we give you a profile to do. And I was looking at the profiles of couples. And the interesting thing that happened to me, the, the couples that have been married together for a long time, their giftings, they started to have a lot of overlap. I could literally see them becoming one flesh. And that's the same thing that happens with us as we walk with Jesus. It begins to have overlap in your life. You start to look more and more like Jesus. You start to think like Jesus. You start to manifest all the gifts like Jesus had all of them. And you start to begin to be more loving in ways that you used to not be loving. And you, started to, and you start to be more grace-filled. 
But here's the thing, y'all. If you're struggling to give grace to your spouse, I have to just tell you to do this. Go back to your need for the gospel. Because I, I will tell you this much. In my life, when I wanted to fix my marriage and do all these things, really what's needed to happen is me to realize how bad I need to be fixed, how bad I need Jesus. And when I go back to the cross and I see how much grace I need and how God didn't divorce me, but he was very faithful to me. Whenever I was unlovable, whenever I was undesirable, whenever I was at my worst, whenever I was cursing God, in all of those moments, he did not let me go. He did not walk out on me. He did not you know, give me the silent treatment. He didn't do any of that stuff. He was gentle. He was caring to me. And when I get to those moments of just experiencing the grace of Jesus, that is where I have grace to give my wife. I want you to know that this example of marriage is not possible apart from the power of Jesus Christ. And I just want you to know in your marriage, if you'll submit your marriage to Jesus, individually and together, I'll tell you, it will be a very beautiful story in the end. Might not be perfect now, but as we experience Jesus, what happens in the church is that we are being perfected. That's what the word sanctified means. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. So this process of sanctification will happen in our life and our marriage will get sanctified too as we surrender it to Jesus. It'll start getting more polished. I wanna say this too though, man, when you think about a perfect marriage, I've thrown that word out a little bit tonight, but the reality is, is the marriage between Jesus and the church wasn't perfect on the church's end at all. She was tough. She was unfaithful. And I think a lot of times we sit here and think and we beat ourselves up because like, man, my marriage don't look like that. My marriage don't look like his or hers or whatever. I just want you to know that submitted to Jesus, your marriage can look like Jesus. There is hope for your marriage in Christ, just like there's hope for the individual in Christ. And don't get too hung up on making your marriage perfect and fixing your spouse, but be most concerned about just following Jesus. I can't stress that enough. The couples that I see sticking together that have confessed Jesus and that are worshiping him on a daily basis, reminding them of their filth and their need for grace, but at the same time, reminding themselves of how much God loves them. When they give that love to their spouse, that's when I see their marriages come alive, all right? So remember how I talked about submission and it was like the bride submitting to the mission of the head, the husband, all right? Here's the picture that we see in scripture. So at the end of the Bible, there's this story and revelation of things to come. And there's a lot of imagery, but we revisit this picture of the bride and the groom between Jesus and the church. And there is a very interesting passage. And I've read this passage and I've heard it before but it just fell on me like super heavy as I begin to think about what it looks like to become one flesh. And so the profound mystery is that the bride and Jesus become one and the same. Their heartbeat becomes one and the same. When I ask you a question, what did Jesus preach? He would say, come to me. 
Come, follow me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Come to me if you're thirsty. Come to me if you're hungry. I'm the bread of life. But he invited everyone to come and experience his love. And we see this beautiful picture of what it looks like to be perfected in marriage in Revelation twenty-two seventeen, Here's what it says. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The church is now offering the same thing that Jesus offered because they are one flesh. They're one and the same. They're walking together, they're loving together. If you today have committed to follow Jesus and you're trying to understand what the gospel is, think about the gospel like a marriage vow where God came before you and he got down on one knee and he says, listen, I choose you, I want you, I love you so much. I've had my eye, on you, my eye on you for a long time. And he says, will you come follow me? Yes, Jesus says hard things like take up your cross and follow me. That's because in a marriage, you are gonna experience what your spouse experiences. You're one flesh, you're doing this thing together. So yes, you're gonna have to experience what Jesus experienced. But along with that experience comes this great well of water for the thirsty soul comes the bread of life. It comes rest for your souls. It comes grace without measure. And I just want to remind you today of that truth. If you don't know Jesus today, know this, his invitation along with the spirit and the bride is this, come. And if you sit here and you're like, man, I don't know what it looks like. Like, I really don't, I mean, how do I give my life to Jesus? Well, what do you do when you're, when there's a proposal? What do you want your fiance to say? Yes. So just like we started today, I'm, I'm giving you my yes. Yeah, yeah, I want, yes, I want my life to be forever married to you, Jesus, yes. Yes, I surrender to you, yes. And alongside that, that's what begins to happen in your marriage. As you say yes to each other, man, you get each other's good things, you get each other's problems, but you get to do it together. You get to do it as one. And so tonight, I just want to tell you this. I believe that our marriages are under attack. I absolutely do. I've seen it, I've experienced it in Midtown. I've experienced it in the church that I was at previously. And I've seen divorce really tear so many things up. I've seen divorce tear up. Um, and, and many of you in this room are, are a part of divorced homes are, and some of you have been divorced, I just want to remind you, Jesus, Jesus never is gonna divorce his church. The word says there's nothing's gonna take us out of his grip, out of his hands. If you are in Christ, he will never divorce you. He will never let you go. Even in your unfaithfulness, we got a faithful groom. Remember that in your marriage as you're navigating the hard times. And when that word comes up, remember his love and his grace. But I also wanna just tell you this, as our marriage is under attack, 
I just wanna invite you guys tonight as we, as we close in a time of prayer and then a song. I, I just ask that you do two things. Number one, would you go back to the cross? Go back to Jesus's ultimate picture of love, of him giving his life for you to buy you back. And ask that you have that kind of love in your marriage. And then second is this. Verse 33 says, let each one of you love his wife as himself. The wife sees that she respects her husband. Would you ask God that you would have this harmony of love and respect in your marriage? Like, would you just say, Lord, like I give my marriage to you. I'm gonna do it your way. Because here's something that I've learned in my life. When my wife submits and whenever she comes and she is respectful to me, you know what I feel? I feel love. And when I go to my wife and I put down my selfish desires and I sit here and I say, hey baby, how can I serve you? You know what she says? Hey, he loves me. It's really this ebb and flow of love and respect in our marriages that help us communicate love. Communication's always probably the number one problem in our relationships. Let's make sure that we're thinking about this. So as we close right now, would you tell the Father thank you? Tell him thank you. And as you tell the Father thank you, I just wanna pray over marriages in this room. Father, there's no one in this room on accident right now. Lord, there are people here that need to just say yes, that need to receive your invitation. And God, there are other marriages in this room that need to be reminded of the yes that they gave their spouse. And I just ask, Lord, that these marriages be protected by your grace, by your love, that those committed in marriage here would lock arms together to fight against the enemy, that they would love fiercely as you love. And when the word divorce comes up, God, when, when there is time and seasons of unfaithfulness, seasons of frustration where the spouse isn't meeting expectation, Father, would you remind us of how you loved us when we didn't meet your expectations? Will you, respond, will you remind us of your response to us, your gentleness, your patience, your kindness, that you nourish and you cherish us? Lord, thank you for my wife. Thank you that she loves you. God, thank you for your love. I'll be with us now as we worship. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.